0: Hey, and welcome to the CCWC podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to be part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message.
1: Well, good morning once again, and uh, I, um, I think I said this just a moment ago. I was really
0: excited uh, at the, the start of this series, the excitement we've had the last couple of weeks, and just the way that God has been moving and the way that he has been uh, just allowing us the
1: opportunity to be able to experience a, a more a deep and lasting understanding of his goodness, his presence, his love. As we've started this series of giving up, and um, there's, there's been a, a concept or a, a, a principle that's been continuing to run through my mind. And that is this understanding that when we give something up, when we turn away from something through the power of God, through the power of the leading of the Holy Spirit, that something has to fill the space or the void to which has been created. So when we turn away from a sin or we turn away from a, 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 a blockage or a stronghold, we have to be filled with something. And it is evident this morning, it's evident anytime we're in the presence of God that he himself is what wants to. He desires to fill the spaces of our heart, the spaces of our life that we often keep ourselves in bondage or or maybe we don't even recognize that we keep from him. And so my heart, my prayer is that in this series, regardless of of the the different things we walk through, that as the, the Spirit leads and as we read through the Word, that we would be reflecting upon and we would respond to the fact that God wants to fill us in a way that we've never experienced or that we may never experience, we can't experience outside of Him and His power. We look at today expectations in fact giving up expectations last week we talked about giving up control and this week we look at this concept of giving up expectations let me just real quick show of hands in here only the people in the room if you're joined online you can raise your hand but I won't know if you lost power over the weekend or if you still have your power out raise your hand if you would okay all right I wasn't sure exactly how far of a reach there was. Uh, Ours just flashed for a moment. I can tell you until about two o'clock yesterday, there was no power here at the church. The facility had no power and so we were already kind of in the planning of what things would look like if we had service with no power. And we talked about generators, we talked about having service out in the lobby, we talked about having family service, a lot of different options and certainly as we went through those it could have been a situation where we kind of scared or discouraged or whatever. I was actually excited and when, the, and when the power came back on I was almost sad. I thought it would have been a lot of fun especially because today we're talking about
0: expectations
1: you know we come here uh, on a regular basis and there's an expectation that uh, we're going to come in and there's going to be some songs we're going to sing there's going to be coffee which there would have been none of that just so you know (laughs) if there'd been no power it would have been bring your own coffee right there would have been opportunity for, there's always opportunity for us to come and there's the, the lights are on, the, the words are on the screen. So even if you don't know those songs, you, you, you can read the, the words, uh, the, the words of the scriptures on the screen. So even if you're one of those people that doesn't bring your Bible, oh, they'll put it up there for me. That would have been uh, not, not here as well. We would have been scrunched in. And I was telling my wife, I'm like, man, but, but the amount of people we can fit in the lobby, she's like, they'll just stand. They'll just stand in the back. And I thought, have you stood while I preached before? Like I, that would have been... It would have been a long time. Thank you for not laughing, a whole lot of you. That makes me feel better. (laughs) But in any event, we come with some expectations here. We begin every day with expectations. We have expectations in life. And as we step into this specific series and we kind of move forward today with the second part of it, I can't help but realize that in life in general and in our spiritual walk, there are some considerable expectations that we have for God. Now, maybe in different areas or different arenas, as we move towards Easter in this series, we we recognize that God's preparing our heart, our mind, our spirit, everything we can, not just so that we can give things up, but so we can fully receive him as the gift that he is. There's nothing like embracing his goodness and embracing the understanding of the text, the word of God, to be able to expose the places in our life that we need to give up. And so as we walk this journey together, may we experience his goodness, and transformation. Well, since we do have the scripture on the screen, you can follow along if you'd like to. Matter of fact, I shouldn't say that until I see it up there, right? The the, the core passage that we're gonna start with is from John's Gospel, chapter three, and it's a recording of Jesus' interaction with a Pharisee, with a religious leader, with a teacher named Nicodemus. Okay, it is up there, good. I'm gonna read through this, and then we're gonna use this as a launch pad for another piece of scripture uh, that will also get to this idea of expectation. Nicodemus came with expectation and Jesus embraced him. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing in God where if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This was puzzling, obviously, for a grown man. How am I going to be born again? He responds, How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, recognizing that there was still an ignorance. There was still this lack of of connection that Nicodemus had. He answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So it's not about this physical rebirth that you're trying to, to picture. It's a little bit different than that. It says flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. It's a spiritual rebirth. You should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows, we know that to be true, wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. I love how he goes from having questions and having all these things, these expectations to basically in response to Jesus' powerful words, how can this be? "'You are Israel's teacher,' said Jesus. "'And do you not understand these things? "'Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know, "'and we testify of what we have seen, "'but still you people do not accept our testimony. "'I have spoken to you of earthly things, "'and you do not believe. "'How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things?' No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, to the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. And there's a verse that, it's kind of an unknown verse, perhaps you've heard of it before, John three sixteen, and it reads like this, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son. This is that him coming into earth from heaven that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this actually is a little bit less known but it's just as powerful. For God did not send his son into the world to to condemn the world but to save the world through him. That is amen worthy. Because that's the gospel, that's, that's what we believe, that's what we understand. And Jesus now standing or sitting, whatever position they were in before this religious leader, Nicodemus, he shares, although Nicodemus came with expectations, he shares the truth, he shares what he came for, he shares how things are to be. You see, God specializes in finding and changing people who we might consider out of reach. God finds people, he, he, he sees people, uh, and maybe people that we don't even see that may be, quote, out of reach and he steps in. And I can, I can just say that reflection in our society, this concept, this action of reflection is one of the most underused and undervalued things, practices, the, the tools that God has given us. Reflection in a busy world, in a world full of social media self-promotion, in a world full of of versed people who are victims, reflection in and of itself is a tool that gets put on the shelf or forgotten about when God actually wants to use it. He wants to use prayer, meditation, and reflection to reveal that sometimes, and I know this is going to hurt for for you because it hurt for me, but sometimes you or I are the one are the are the, the 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 person that he's specializing that may have been considered out of reach or that may have our own expectations that God says hey I've got something new I've got something real I've got something for you and so it's easy to sit here it's easy for me to even stand here and read this passage and say Nicodemus how come you couldn't get it come on Jesus is there, he's doing all these signs and wonders, you see all this stuff, how could you not fully understand? I mean, he knew something was up, so let's give him a little bit of credit, but certainly right now, may we not take the position of Nicodemus, how could you not get it? May we take the position of openness to say, God, how might I not be, quote, getting it? And I'm not casting any dispersions on you. I'm not throwing you into the bus. What I'm saying is may we have an openness for how God might reveal to us the expectations that we've come with or that we come with specifically on a weekly, daily, or moment-by-moment basis so that we might experience him afresh and anew. Can we do that together? Can we come open, putting our expectations aside? All right. Let's talk about a little bit about Nicodemus and then we'll, we'll move into this other passage I wanted to, to, to hit on today. Nicodemus was an undercover believer in some regard. And while we, we bring out the, this this uh, understanding of, of, of how he, he, he listened to God, how he came to God through, through, uh, through his upbringing, he also saw this Jesus person as the possible Messiah. And as he came into this conversation with him, he was kind of on the fence about the truth and about who he really was. And even then, as Jesus called him to follow him, he didn't step forward until after Jesus had died. In fact, we know that he was a a, a part of the kingdom, part of the the, the process after that because he even came with Joseph of Arimathea to help prepare Jesus' body for burial because he recognized, hey, I almost missed the boat, but I'm not going to now. Nicodemus at that time was afraid of being discovered, so he came to Jesus at night in a place where people wouldn't be able to see him. He really wanted to learn from Jesus, and he, he got more than he would ever expected. He he left there changed. He left there made new with a new understanding, with new, exp- when, or with a newness in God when expectations were broken. He got a whole new understanding of God, and he got a whole new understanding of himself. And as a member of the Jewish council, it's interesting, he did speak up for Jesus, but was ignored. He was overrun by the others that didn't agree with him. And though he was limited by fear, he was attracted to Jesus' character. And as a, as a result, uh, a wonderful conversation brought, in darkness, brought this text for us to be able to experience and to know Jesus. At the same time, it brought the opportunity for us to be able to fill out poster boards and, and hold them up at, at, a, at, a, at, a, at a public gathering so that people could see John three sixteen Right? How thoughtful of Nicodemus to do such a thing. But why does this all matter? It all matters because Nicodemus's place, of who he was, of what he was about. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. If you grew up in Sunday school, you know that the Pharisees were bad, right? That's just the rule. Pharisee bad, right? Not necessarily. Not all bad, but certainly they got a bad rap most of the way. And, and why is that true? Well, one thing that they had, a, they were a strict group of individuals that, that, were, uh, that advocated for the obedience of, of Jewish law and tradition, and they did so in a way that elevated themselves over others. Look, I'm doing this thing because you're not doing it. I'm therefore better than you. I can pray in this way and you're not good enough. I know all of these things and since you don't know them, I'm elevated and you're not as good as me. And that was the position that was brought forth by these individuals. What's more, they had the power and the influence to be able to do things in the synagogue. And so if you recognize this, there was some some power there spiritually for them to say, I'm closer to God, I can decide whether you get close to God because of what I've done. Now there was some agreement with Jesus. They had respect for the law. They, they had belief in the resurrection of the dead, which the Sadducees did not. They, they were committed to obeying God's will. But they also rejected Jesus, claiming that he wasn't the Messiah, that he did not uh, follow the traditions properly. He wasn't associated with, with, the, with the, uh, the good people in society. Instead, he actually associated with wicked people I was like, why would this guy, if he's the Messiah, spend any time with tax collectors? Why would he spend time with prostitutes? Why would he spend time with the people that we consider the lowest of the low? He should be up here, elevated in the synagogue with the rest of us, leading the charge. They were often criticized by John the Baptist and others because they were hypocrites. They taught something, but they lived something totally different. They lived that it was about status and about what you could say and what you could do. And certainly, there was this recognition that the kingdom, when Jesus came, became personal. When Jesus came, it wasn't about your nationality or, or your, your ethical background. It wasn't necessarily even about the things that you learned or the things that you knew. It was about this repentance and understanding of spiritual rebirth, Jesus taught that God's kingdom has already begun in the hearts of believers, not something that has to happen distantly or through someone else.
0: And that's what he came to do.
1: As Mark records it, there's a, an opportunity that Jesus has to be able to share truth uh, time and time again with the Pharisees. And oftentimes when he talked with the Pharisees, it was in response to questions that they had to try to trip him up, to tear him down, to misguide or misdirect or discredit him. And certainly in those cases, Jesus took the opportunity time and time again to continue to draw things back to truth. In a short blurb or short text in, in Mark chapter 2, And Jesus is being questioned uh, by the the Pharisees because of the fact that his disciples were not following all of the things that the the, the books of the law told them they were to follow, namely in this one, fasting. Mark chapter 2, verse 18 reads like this, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. So they were doing what they were supposed to do. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Come on, Jesus, why aren't you coming through? Why, why are your people not doing what you're supposed to do? And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long, they have, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. And verse 21, 22 reads like this, No one sews a patch of unsunken, unshrunken cloth on an old garment. "'Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. "'And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, "'otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, "'and both the wine and the wineskin will be ruined.'" No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. And there we read that. And we say, oh, obviously, that's the metaphor we all use all the time, right? I've used the wineskins metaphor earlier today when I was telling my kids about cereal. I didn't want to make sure they didn't pour the, the, the milk into an old wineskin because you don't want it to tear, right? You, we, you know, right? Okay, you don't know. I, 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 maybe you do. I don't know. What does all this mean? Well, why does Jesus even bring this metaphor in? The Pharisees were trying to trip him up and, 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 and talk to him about fasting and about the Sabbath and bringing these accusations. And Jesus turns this indictment into an opportunity to reveal his relationship and understanding rather than the religiosity that they wanted to bring forward. And so this wineskin metaphor serves as an opportunity to see who Jesus is and what he's about. And I, brought a, or I put a photo up, I, I think. This is a, a this is more of a modernized wineskin, but basically this is what it is. This would be uh, a, a bottle, or, or this would be their, their nature of a water bottle at the time. It would be something they would carry around, kind of like a satchel form. And that, that uh, brown, the big large brown piece is actually leather. Probably in that time would have been goat leather. And that is leather that would, be, that would hold in the, the, quote, the wine. And so when, the, when their, uh, their beverage would be put inside of that, it would, uh, if it was fermented, it would expand. And what would take place is as the expansion would happen and, and the expansion would, 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 would push that wineskin out to its furthest capacity, if you put new wine into it after that wine was either poured out or drank or even leaked out, if, if you put more wine into it, it would expand further because it would dry out again and then it would tear. And if you were to put patches over top of it, those would simply be the, the, the path of least resistance, those would tear as well or those would tear first and you would have wine leak out everywhere and we've all had that issue too right we've all been there before lost wine because of the old patches but why does this fit how does this fit you know, when we look at this specifically, Jesus was preaching the, the, the reality that this metaphor right here was an indicator of how God chose to redeem the world. And certainly when God had, the, in the Old Testament, God had this plan, this perfect plan of redeeming his people. He brought forth opportunity for sacrifice. He brought forth op- for animal sacrifice. He brought forth opportunity for growth, for people to be able to come into his presence. Even after all the things that he put forward to have this tabernacle and the holy place and the holy of holies and all the things that were necessary, and then when Jesus came, he said, that's old wineskin. That's the way that it was set up before. But in recognition and understanding, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a, a pivotal step, a pivotal change, where it's not just about the things that you do or the way that you do things or the obedience that you have, but it's about this relationship. Relationship. And what Jesus says is, I am now the new wineskin. I am now the new one to come. Don't simply try to patch things over top of the old and figure out ways where uh, through human uh, understanding or maybe even human wisdom where we can kind of manipulate the rules so that it can elevate me or make me feel better, but instead recognize that there's a whole new way. Throw out this old wineskin and reflect this new one. That doesn't mean that the Old Testament is irrelevant. What it means is God came through the person of Jesus to redeem and to fulfill the books of the law and the understanding. It's not just about following the rules. It's not just about doing the things you're supposed to do, but it's about doing so with a heart that honors God, that loves God, and that engages with God. It's interesting to note that the word there used in in Mark chapter 15, or the, the word there is the same that's used in Mark chapter 15 when it refers to this tearing of the curtain. When Jesus died on, on the cross and the curtain was torn, was split in two, it opened the door for all people to come into the presence of God. And that same word here, that schisma, that word reflects the fact that God is saying, I am, I am I'm ripping this open so that all people can be part of what I am doing. The Pharisees lived in old wineskin mentality. They lived in a place where it was all about the old following the rules. They lived with expectations. And when new wine was poured into their old wineskin, it would break and that wine would be wasted and the things that God was doing would be wasted. The things that they would say, the things that they would teach would be wasted because it wasn't rooted in the new wineskin. His grace doesn't come in legalistic rules. Instead, it comes through the person of Jesus because get this, he, God himself is the potter. We are the clay. We don't make up the rules. We don't make up the world. We don't make up all the things that we're to do. Instead, we follow God's response. And I even venture to say that when we come here to worship, we don't worship out of our own ability. We worship in response to who God is. The lead worshiper in the room is not someone that's actually physical. The lead worshiper in the room is the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one that brings forth the opportunity for us to be able to even experience God in reflection, through song, through giving, through through response of the word, through communion and fellowship. And so right now you're thinking, Pastor Steve, you've been talking a while and we haven't filled out one blank. (laughs) Okay, all right, I get that. Let's talk about the clarity and expectation. And the first thing is this, Jesus is our new wineskin. Jesus is our new wineskin. He is the law fulfilled and he has given purpose to all law, to all intention, to all things. I don't know uh, when you got your first cell phone. I got mine when I was in college, and that was kind of like the first thing, and I couldn't find that one. I know I have it somewhere, but it seems like if, if you've got kids at home, you recognize that when you have a cell phone and you go on to the next one, like that old cell phone becomes toy box material, and so I know it's somewhere. This is the oldest one I could find. This is a flip phone. Yeah. Real buttons on it. Uh, there is a screen on this one. The first one I had didn't really even have a screen. It just had a place where you could type in the numbers, and that was it. And this specific cell phone would take pictures back then, and if you were to look at those pictures now on a screen, it would look like they were taken by a potato. I mean, they are <laughs> terrible. I've got, I've got another one here. This, one is, uh, this one's got... This is really cool. This was high-tech. Look at that. Flips out. Full keyboard for a mouse to use. I mean, this is, this is nuts. And then, I went, uh, and then I switched to the, uh, the Apple phone. I'm not sure what year this is, but uh, let me tell you how good this, this lasted about a month. And then I had to get another one uh, right here. And then I, I, have, I have this. This is a Samsung or Motorola. Uh, this was my daughter's phone for a while. And it's not too bad. Now I have this one, which it's a little bit bigger. I, I would much rather have the small one. And let me tell you right now, All of these things have gone through, and I think I've had a couple more in there somewhere along the line. All these things that have gone through, let me just tell you right now, there is no way, no way that I'm transferring the photos to this and not using the camera on this one. And the reason I say that is because I recognize that the old way, the old things, the way that it used to be is not sufficient for where we are now. It's not sufficient for how things are to to go. It's not sufficient for things. we. There weren't even apps back then. So even if I wanted to get on here and try to, to use this as a GPS, whatever it might be, I don't even have that ability. Can I just tell you right now, the ability, the things we have, the way that God has engineered and given us the opportunity to experience Him in real and lasting life through relationship is far greater than anything that we used to be able to experience or have because the rules that we follow, the things that we used to do, those things pale in comparison to the relationship that God wants to have with each person he created. And so I put the rest of these in a bag. I say, here you go. That's gone. And it's over with. Now I recognize that this breaks down because I'm sure that Apple's going to come out with a new phone in like a month. And you're going to like, Steve, did he have a second covenant? No, that's it. That's, that's the one. But this letter of the law mentality, these following the laws is basically the concept of of what I call adventures of missing the point. It's not about following the rules and crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's and saying, okay, I got everything figured out, but it's about growing in depth in relationship with the one who loves us. Many people have the expectation that God is there to empower what they want to do. The things that you want to get done, what they want to do, the the mission that they have for life, or just to make their life better. But can I just tell you, those things they may be a response to, but God Himself, His choice, His desire is to live in relationship with you. Second point. It starts with Genesis. Chapter 12, I'm just going to read a few verses here. It says, The Lord said to Abram, it wasn't even Abraham yet, Abram, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, Abram was seventy five years old when he set out from Haran. And this ver or these few verses they, they they basically paint the picture of what it looks like to follow God even when we don't know why, what, how, or what it's all gonna look like. You know, if, if you were to read much of the, of the book of Genesis, you're going to see promises fulfilled. And certainly many of those promises were fulfilled with Abraham. He revealed, God revealed himself many, many times to Abraham, reflecting upon the fact that he is true to his promises. And sometimes he's going to call you and he's going to call me to things that we don't always recognize. But in depth of relationship, the deeper relationship we have with him, the more we can stand firm on the promises that he has made for each one of us. And the second point is this. Jesus Christ did not come to fix your life. He didn't come to make everything perfect for Abraham and he didn't plan to do the same thing for you. Instead, he came to give you a new one. When we talk about spiritual birth, it's not about being reborn. It's about being born. You've heard me talk about this before and certainly this is what scripture says that it's it's not about fixing the old life, but it's about being made new. It's about a new life because before coming to Christ, we are literally dead spiritually. And so God is bringing life from nothing. And the way that he proves that, the way that he shows that is metaphoric because he actually rose from the dead. And he does the same thing for you and the same thing for me should we step forward in relationship with him. He calls us to look heavenward, not to stare down at, at this world or the things around us, but to stare up, to look at him. We focus on the, the new wineskin, not the patches of, of what we're supposed to try to do or the things that this world tries to tell us to do. About what the expectations call us or drive us into. Speaking of cell phones, there's a commercial that came out recently, and I I don't watch a lot of TV, but I feel like I've seen this commercial 10 times. There's this guy that he's on his phone all day long, and he's totally just like not paying attention to the world around him. And the way the commercial ends, he's like walking across the street and he's in a crosswalk. So my wife corrected me on that. He's in a crosswalk. So he's at least where he should be. And all of a sudden this car barrels down on him. and has to hit the brakes really quickly. And I don't know if it's a cell phone commercial or a brakes commercial or a car commercial. I'm not sure what it's about, but what I do know is they stop and he looks up so angry and perturbed at them because, Hey, I'm walking here. I'm talking here. I'm looking at my phone. And I think sometimes God finds us in that same manner. He's like, hey, 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 stop staring down at your screen, whatever that, whatever that is metaphorically for you, and look up at me, what I have for you, what I want for you. Stop living your life staring down or looking at the things that are, that are, that are at your feet and instead look up to me, look at me. God's desire is for you, for I, to all experience him real, afresh, and anew. The third point is this, one must be born again to enter and experience the kingdom of God on earth and in heaven. See, here's the deal. This is one of the things that that God was, or that Jesus was trying to bring forth to Nicodemus and what he was trying to share with 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 the Pharisees. Look, it's not all about the knowledge that you have. That's not all salvation is. It's about relationship. So you could know the Bible. Nicodemus knew the Old Testament books of the law. You could know all the the rules you're supposed to have, all the things you're supposed to do. But what's more important, you should understand that God, uh, whom the Bible reveals, is about salvation, the salvation that he offers. John 3, 10 through 11 reads like this. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. He's talking to Nicodemus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. Christ is calling each one of us to step forward in relationship with him, to be born again, to be made new, to experience his kingdom both here on earth and in heaven. The bottom line is this, and it revolves around a specific understanding of allowing God to break the expectations that we have, to break the thoughts that we have that stand between us and between him and the things that he wants to do and the the desires that we have. And And it all revolves around this bottom line. Hard-hearted expectations suppress and exclude the work of God, the work of the Lord. Hard-hearted expectations suppress and exclude. They they suppress what God wants to do. They put them to the side and they exclude, almost eliminating, totally getting rid of the the things that God wants to do in our lives. And what God's calling us to do is to abandon worldly expectations and keep our hearts pliable and open and and to accept the life-changing truths that Christ has for us. You know, sometimes we don't see the things God wants to do. We don't hear the things God wants to do because of this hardened heart mentality. The book of Exodus talks about the, the, the exiting of the, the Israelites from Egypt. And there's this big, long story, this big, long interaction, this big, long historical account of Pharaoh and Moses and, and also Aaron, who is part of that, where they are trying to, to, to free the people because of God's contr- because of God's desire and because of Pharaoh's control and the bondage that they're in. And, and through this whole process, it talks about how Pharaoh's heart was hardened, how Pharaoh's heart was, was hardened against what God wanted and against the direction that God was calling him to, and in all of that, he was attempting to try to suppress and exclude the work of the Lord. Can I tell you, I, I I've served in, in pastoral ministry for since 2005. I don't know if you're a math major, you can you can do the math there. Full time vocationally, and the, and the, the the ups and downs of pastoral ministry are real. There are there are things that I truly enjoy. There are times when I am excited, and there are also times when God teaches lessons to myself, which he maybe has done with you as well. The first church that I served at, I, I was right out of college, and I was uh, really actually excited to jump into this new experience, this new opportunity. Uh, the, the The pastor that was there uh, was actually going to be leaving, and I found that out shortly after I got there, and there was another assistant pastor that had came actually to, to, uh, to hire me, and, and he did so before I even graduated, and so I was excited about this opportunity, this experience. And when I I started there. My wife and I moved to, to this new town. We started there. I, I was excited about all the things that were happening. And then as things began to change, I recognized when this new pastor had come in that we didn't necessarily see eye to eye, not necessarily on the gospel, but on methodology. And can I tell you at 22 years old, I knew everything, right? You, you've been there. Maybe you're 22 right now. Let me just tell you, you know everything, and in that time that I thought I knew everything, there was this, this response back and forth between myself and, and the pastor that I was, I was one of the staff pastors there, that I was, I was not exactly on board. I wasn't completely listening. I didn't have all the things uh, in, in mind that he had. And as time went on, my heart became hardened towards the direction that he wanted. And his heart became hardened towards me and, and my leadership area. And as we had this relationship, I I recognize as time went on that that, that there was a a severing that was taking place. And certainly there were things that went on throughout that where I I learned a great deal. And I I still look back at that now and I think it wasn't fun to be in the storm. It wasn't fun to be in that moment, even if some of it was self-inflicted. But I can tell you right now that God redeemed it. He used it. He will use all evil. He will use all storms for his goodness, regardless of what takes place in that setting. And I didn't have very much respect for, for this individual, for my, for my, my leader, my pastor at that time. And I will tell you, even at that time, I, I, I did something unbiblical. I even, I even said things um, about him to others that was, that was, not, uh, that was not God-honoring. And I, I reflect upon that now. And eventually, the, the time came that we severed that relationship, and, and I, I left, and certainly... With a hardened heart, as I left that setting, as I left that place, Satan was saying to me, maybe you're not really supposed to do this. Maybe this is something you're not supposed to be engaged in. Maybe, maybe you heard God wrong, and you're supposed to do something else. And I can tell you, after a time of, of reflection, after a time of talking with mentors and, and, and prayer and all the things, I recognized my heart had become really hardened. I recognized that even though I'd grown up in church and I had a degree in ministry and I had this experience and all these things, that I was looking more and more like a Pharisee every single day. And so as time went on and and, and God brought forth the opportunity for my wife and I to once again serve in, in pastoral ministry, I recognized that in that moment, in that time that God had brought forth the opportunity for me to have a second chance, so to speak, For me to recognize it wasn't about the rules or about the things that I would do, but to be able to step in and with a softened heart towards God to say, God, whatever you want from me, I will do it. I look at Nicodemus and I see that he came with expectations. I see that he came and he really failed and Christ came. The God of second chances came and said, Nicodemus, I see where you've gone. I see what you've done, but you know what? I'm not done with you yet. This sermon certainly can work on a lot of different ways. This passage can work on a lot of different ways. But I think sometimes when we read scripture, God's saying, hey, look, church people, I'm not done with you yet. Don't gain a proud heart. Don't gain a hardened heart. Don't gain a heart that's not open to my leading, my desire, but instead be open to what I have for you. And God has a way of redeeming things as well. About 10 years later, after that interaction, and I'd gone through this whole process of really being frustrated at this person who was at the center of why all things went awry. As time went on, I recognized my part in the whole thing. And and certainly he did the same. And we actually ran into each other and set up a meeting in one of the most obscure places, just a a total random thing that God had set up. And we sat down and I was able to tell him, look, I had a hardened heart, I'm sorry. And he did the same, and we had a time to be able to, to reconcile in that moment. And certainly that doesn't always happen. We had a time to reconcile in that moment. And I realized that even in that moment when I blamed him for everything, I recognized that God was using him for my own goodness. Because that's how God works. And even now I see him as, as someone I truly admire, someone that, I, that I, I recognize as a mentor, someone that I go to for even when I was, get this, when I was seeking whether God was calling me to come here, almost nearly four years ago. He's one of the people I called. And I will tell you that what he said and what he prayed over me was probably one of the indicators that I should move forward and step forward in the way that God's calling. Can I tell you, God's not done with you yet. Can we drop the expectations that we might have? And just let God wash over us what He desires in our hearts and lives.
0: Thank you again for spending time with us today. Thank you especially to those of you who give to CCWC. It is through your faithfulness that makes this ministry possible. Also, if you have any questions about today's teaching or if you want to learn more about CCWC, feel free to contact our office, check the web, or follow us on our social media platforms. If you enjoyed today's podcast, we do encourage you to take a moment to subscribe and share it with friends. Let this be a blessing to someone else that you love in your life. You're always welcome to join us on Sunday morning for worship, or until then, we'll catch you on the next one. God bless.